0: Welcome to the Fast Brackets podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 36. It is the fourth week in February of 2020. And I have been getting a lot of Rex. When is the next episode? Where is it? And I understand. You want your fix. Uh, Much like we discussed last year, the Fast Brackets podcast is a lot like something else some of you married folks will understand. You think about it every day, but you only get it once per week. I've been getting a lot of requests like, hey, Rex, uh, could you do a daily show instead of weekly? I'll consider that. Um, I've also been getting, hey, Rex, how about three hours every week instead of just one? I don't know. It's on the table. Um, But I also got this, Rex, can you please talk more Top Gun and Top Gun 2? That is very, very likely. Um, Because I'm a man of the people. Not only do I know what you want, I intend to give it to you. I just need you to be patient as we start this season. It's a long season, so we're going to easy does it. No need to hit the limiter too early in the year, Uh, but we have absolutely started out with killer guests, and that will not stop here. Um, That is my promise to every single one of you out there in Fast Brackets Nation. We will um, essentially be every other week throughout March and April, simply because in most of the country, it is still too cold to make safe passes. So we will follow the racing calendar, and we will bring it up to speed so we don't break anything getting up on the chip. Um, All right, uh, now that you know that, we have a couple of great guests on for you this week. First of all, we have Sandy Wilkins, your 2019 Top Sportsman NHRA World Champion. Um, and then we also have Cindy, uh, Oh, She is the president of the Merrill ice draggers. Um, some of you guys know, you heard me talk with Brina Frank. Um, and I went snowmobiling and I could not stop myself from getting to the ice draggers, um, up in Northern Wisconsin and, and pulling my nephews along with me to check that out. Um, so, uh, that, that is going to be awesome, and I cannot wait to have them on uh, today. So let's go ahead and do it. Get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Put your heap together for this new year, but metaphorically speaking, put your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put them in the water box and let's talk temperatures today, folks. Uh, Not water temperatures, not oil temperatures, and not trans fluid temperatures, but human body temperatures and the coronavirus. Um, It is starting to get real here, and we're seeing the first cases of that thing pop up here in the U.S. Um, It's going to be an issue this year um you know we're already seeing some supply chain issues uh from China and uh we've we've witnessed a stock market pullback here this week some of you um, have probably already seen it become an issue in your industries um but and it's going to be bumpy it's going to be bumpy for a bit um and I am very hopeful that all of you have done a little bit of Prepping on whatever level you feel like you need to, whether it be financially, whether it be uh, food storage, etc. cetera. Uh, no, I do not believe this is going to be the end of the world. Uh, but there is going to be a disru- is disruption in our general lives like I don't think we've dealt with for over a decade. Um, and it's going to cause some headaches, um, I guess, literally and metaphorically uh, speaking. Uh, long story short, this is a real problem that every one of us is going to have to deal with this year. And, um, you know, assuming there was no outbreak this year, uh, this year looked pretty rosy for most of us financially, I think. Uh, You know, there's lots of activity, lots of opportunity out there, um, and that all got turned around with the information that this thing was out of control in China. Um, And what really bothers me about the coronavirus is that it spreads when it truly doesn't have to um, it can be contained uh, but poor hygiene or selfishness allows it to grow and spread to other parts of the world which is exactly the same issue we have sometimes in drag racing um, and the biggest threat to drag racing at least in my opinion is fragmentism meaning we like top sportsmen and top dragster but For whatever reason, we hate all other classes, whether that be bracket racing or pro mod or the small tire stuff. Um, Fragmentism in drag racing is like the coronavirus to the rest of the world. It spreads when it doesn't have to, Um, which is why if you're new to the show, we always have an out of the groove segment to show um, or to highlight our counterparts in drag racing that are more like us than different um, for sure. And so I tell you all that to tell you this, please do not spread the Corona or fragmentism virus. Don't do it. Put on your hand sanitizer and don't go out. If you are coughing up fragmentism, um, when Sam, someone tells you, Hey, I like street outlaws. Go with it. Um, when someone tells you, you know, they like top fuelers, be cool. Um, Unless they tell you they like Steve Torrance. You can hate him. I'll allow that. Um, But um, this is not China. This is the United States. We can all get along. We have great opportunities. We have drag race opportunities all over this country. And it is uh, worthwhile that we all kind of get on board and uh, root each other on. all right let's put it in the beams presented by this is bracketracing.com on with us now is your 2019 nhra top sportsman world champion welcome to the show sandy wilkins sandy how are you today
1: i'm doing great rex thanks
0: hey uh you had a fantastic season last year um and that was a uh, phenomenal you'd been knocking on the door for a couple of years you you got it done last year and uh, certainly well earned but maybe take our listeners back to when you first got started in drag racing you want to tell us about that
1: well i ran my first top sportsman race in 1998 and we were running ihra at the time and actually my very first race we run it up and i kind of got the bug set and uh, the, the hook set, I guess, for uh for Todd Sportsman. That was that was a great start and uh we've just really been chasing points ever since.
0: Yeah, like um you've been at the top of the leaderboard for a long, long time and I guess uh that's where it started, right? Um the the first event ever?
1: Yes. It's uh it it was a pretty good pretty good weekend for us and uh you know, I can still remember it was a Greer Dragway and, and it was a. Uh, I mean, I, I can, I even remember pulling in the parking to park and uh, somebody said, you can't park there. That's Scotty Cannon's parking place. And I said, who's Scotty Cannon? You know, uh, anyway. Yeah, for sure. Do that you? Kind were, of tells you how, how green I was at the time.
0: Right, right. Uh, do you remember the ETs you were running?
1: Back then, I think we, you had to run 550 in the eighth mile. And I think I was, I was close to that, you know, just barely getting in.
0: Yeah, sure, and and now, um, man, these guys can uh, do that almost in the quarter mile if they really want to uncork it. You know, like it's <laughs> right. Uh, Some of the guys probably could. Yeah, man, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's been really interesting that way. Um, well, uh, no, that's that's good stuff. You also along the way have picked up an unusual nickname. Uh, do you want to tell us about how uh, how the sand flea came about?
1: Well, that that actually happened in high school. And I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is right near the beach. And we'd go down to Carolina Beach, and I had a four-wheel drive Blazer, and we could at that time you could drive on the beach. And we would, uh, you know, Fridays and Saturday nights we'd go out and, and hang out on the beach all night. And uh, you know, I was I was a guy that was you could always find down, you know, on the on the the beach and with his truck, and I guess Sandy and Sandfleet kind of rhyme, and <laughs> it, it stuck. And, uh, you know, that's how a lot of people have known me ever since high school.
0: Sure, gotcha. Um, do you still get to the beach uh, quite as often as you used to?
1: No, not at all, actually. I, I wish, uh, I wish did my dad and sister still live in Wilmington, and, and I love going to the beach. But with the racing schedule and uh, now opening up, uh, wilkins racing engines again uh which is just difficult to, to get free it's it now a four-hour trip uh, to the beach
0: yeah yeah no. i understand uh adulting has gotten in the way right
1: it always gets in the way <laughs> of all your fun right
0: no doubt um well yeah and so for those listeners that don't know um could you detail for us the uh, the last uh, I don't know ten or fifteen years of your work life, and then what um, has changed here recently for you?
1: Well, I I started uh, right out of college. Actually, I started building engines for a guy, and we built late model stock NASCAR engines for many years, and and then uh, I opened my own business in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we did. Mostly drag racing engines for about six years, and then Roush Yates approached me and said, "We'd like for you to run our drag racing program and i'm like well wow, that's that's really a great opportunity I, I don't know if I should close my business to do that, but let's let's talk about it and they they ended up making it really easy uh for me to come work for them and sort of uh you know bought most of my equipment and and made the transition really really easy so we did that and and the drag racer program lasted for a while at Roush Yates, and then that uh, my job title changed, and I ran the machine shop there, and then um, at last I was sort of in charge of special project pushrod engines, which included things like the Ken Block Unicorn Mustang, the Von Gittin Jr. drift car engines, and along with that, they they put me in a position to work on the Ford GT engines that went to Le Mans in the 24 Hours of Daytona. and So I've been a part of some really neat groups for the last 10 years. And as the, the Ford GT program kind of came to an end and the special projects were sl- slowing down, uh, the my position over there changed again. And at that time I thought, well, you know, maybe it's really a good time for me to to chase the last half of the top sportsman racing season and also reopen Wilkins racing engines. So that's sort of what I did from, um, I don't know, midsummer, or I guess, well, September since Indy, because we sort of made that decision and we decided we're going to chase the points. Who knows how many more opportunities we'll ever get to, to win the national championship. So we chased after that and it worked out. And at the same time I was, you know, working on race cars, trying to travel, et cetera. You know, I was buying a building, moving equipment, remodeling a building you know, There's a whole lot going on at the end of last year up until December, which is basically when we uh, reopened the engine business. So here, here we are.
0: Yeah. I think, I think there's probably a handful of guys that understand how um, difficult it is to, to start a business like that. And there's a handful of guys that understand how, difficult it is to race for a national championship and then there's less guys that understand how to do both of those things at the same time and uh it, somehow you you figured it out man
1: well it, it's uh of course it's time consuming to say the least and uh my, my wife you know i'd come home you know 10 or 11 o'clock at night and she'd say who are you you know i'd <laughs> seen you in two days and uh you know jokeful, jokefully saying things like that but it was it's nice. I've got lots of support from from my wife and uh, our, our girls, and and it's been it's been challenging to say the least, but of course very rewarding at the same time.
0: Yeah, no, I, I could see that. Um, we well, you, you certainly got it done. You got the national championship done, and then um, talk a little bit about what your focus is now on your on your new endeavor with um, you know starting it back up again.
1: Well, what's what's really nice about uh, About having the contacts that we had at Roush Yates and doing the special projects, I'm versed in a lot of different types of engines as well as um, you know engine theory. And so right now we're we're doing some of the same types of engines I did at Roush Yates. I'm going to specialize in drag racing, but we also are are doing some off-road truck engines. I was part of the project uh, called the RY45, which is a four and a half inch bore space small block Ford really neat little project. And I, I built one of those for my wife's dragster. And that was something that was developed at Roush Yates, and that I, I took the lead on building the very first RY 45 engine. And, you know, now there's a couple hundred of them in service. And so that's one of the things that we do here is the, is that RY 45 engine package. And, you know, I've got stuff in here right now from, you know, small block bracket racing to pro nitrous and outlaw super stock, uh, just you know, kind of oddball, weird, special projects is sort of what I'm really good at, and what we we specialize in is trying to get it right the first time, and it, which takes a lot of effort. But it's a, it's a it's a neat neat concept, and and it's going well so far.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, um, given the fact that uh, you've got these expertise and you know all of these engine combinations, uh, why don't you walk us through your car and the uh, the engine and uh, combo that you have in that?
1: Well, it's a, a Jerry Bickle race car's 1969 Camaro, and it was built in 2011. And originally it was campaigned in pro nitrous for one season, and then I purchased it. And I converted it over from, uh, you know, from a pro nitrous application to something I thought would be good for top Sportsman, which is a 665, Cubic inch, big block Chevy, and we currently run a couple different transmissions, but both of them automatics, depending on track conditions and where we're racing, and how fast we need to go. Uh-huh. Um, Greg Slack torque converters. Uh, the uh, you know it's got a standard you know nine inch rear end that we also kind of change gears depending on what uh, what track conditions, where we're racing. How fast we think we need to go. Uh, it's a nitrous application which we normally race with one nitrous system which runs in the mid six sixties, and then sometimes during qualifying, if we need to position ourselves, you know, better for qualifying, we have a second nitrous system that will run. Uh, we've been as fast as six thirty, two hundred eighteen miles oh, wow. an hour.
0: That's moving. That's that's moving. But it feels like that's like more and more often you have to have that in your pocket right, in, the, in top sportsmen now?
1: Well, you know, in our division, Division II, uh, 660s gets you qualified in the top five 90% of the time. If you go to, let's say we go to St. Louis and run Division III, uh, I mean, a 660 is going to put you middle of the pack at best. Right. You know, you're right. you're going to be, you know, fighting for the 16th position with six sixty. So, uh, so yes, you want to make sure that, that you have, uh, you know, enough power to, to get qualified, nobody wants to travel 15 hours from home and, and not get to race. So, uh, so I kind of concentrate when it comes to, to top sportsmen or top dragster engines, nitrous applications. I really like those because a guy can take uh, this package that I'm running and we can run it on horsepower, and it runs, you know, seven flat range. I can run it on one system and it runs 660. So I can run it on two and it runs 630s, and that gives a guy a lot of different options. You know, he can go 470 race in the eighth mile or 450 race or 490 race, um, whatever the, you know, whatever the local series close to him uh, offers. And, right. And, and that's the neat thing about the nitrous is you can, you know, you can turn it off, you can turn it on when you want to. So you, you, can, you can really use that as a uh, tuning tool for track conditions, weather conditions. And just, you know, how fast do we need to go today for this application?
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, that is probably the biggest um, factor in even keeping a lot of these nitrous combos around, right? Because we're seeing so many turbos and so many pro chargers and Vortex superchargers and and the blower motors come around. Uh, It feels like that's easy horsepower, but doesn't give you the tunability like a nitrous engine does
1: and I agree with that statement. I, I that, and that's why I choose, uh, for my own combination to run nitrous. And I, you know, when the weather's 50 degrees and, and you have to race cause we're racing for points, you know, what are your options? Well, if you've got a pro charger, your, 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 your option is to take a bunch of timing out of the engine, which, well, that, that doesn't make the engine consistent. That's for sure. Right. So, um, so we choose the nitrous application for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know a guy that, that spends you know 20 30 40 thousand dollars or whatever it is on an engine wants to be able to not be pigeonholed into one type of racing normally you know unless they unless they're racing for national points only or what have you but you know if a guy wants to go run PDRA IHRA 470 he needs the ability ability to tune the engine to run uh, you know a different ET for all those events
0: yeah, and I think and that's, that's, that, that's kind of the beauty of drag racing, too, and especially um, in the southeast, I think a little bit more than other places, that there are a bunch of series to run, and you can kind of get in where you fit in.
1: Exactly. In North Carolina here, I would say every weekend within four or five hours of Mooresville radius, you could probably race for $5,000 at either a four fifty, four seventy, four ninety, top sportsman, top dragster, um, you know, some type of, of local eighth mile racing every weekend for the whole summer. Yeah. And if you have a combination that's versatile, then you can go race wherever you want to.
0: Yeah. Um, if we only had the time to do it all right.
1: <laughs> well, when you open your own business, you don't have time to do <laughs> right. much at all. So other than work,
0: right? Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, well you, uh, I know that'll, uh, it's already sounds like it's uh, keeping you very very busy but uh so no worries there but um tell us a little bit about last season um you know you had a great start and then um you're rolling but you have to watch from home you have to watch Doug Crumlich and see if he you know snatches the victory out of you know out of your hands how was that
1: it's brutal <laughs> is what it is that's exactly what it's like it's i've been in this position before where we left Rockingham, which is our last race on the East Coast, and then for the West Coast guys to still have two or three races left. And I've watched my lead dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and disappear. And and Mike Williams, you know, passed us a number of years ago and and it's it's very, very difficult to know, hey, I've done the best I can do and I'm in the lead and I led for, you know, a percentage, a good percentage of the year. And then, you know, somebody else just has, you know, a couple good races after you do and and, and passes you. So, and I know Doug is a great racer, and I've watched him over the years, and, and you know, when I left Rockingham in the lead, I'm like, this this is not enough lead, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and great. and I, I felt, I know there were two races left, and I think luckily he lost early at the first race in Dallas and didn't gain any points, and then went to Vegas, and he kept winning rounds and winning rounds, and we got to the fourth round, and I mean, I'm mean i literally sick to my stomach watching him run on TV and, and thinking to myself, all he's got to do is win two more rounds. Anybody can win two rounds. <laughs> you know, you have two red lights. you well, Who knows what, right? Anybody can win two rounds.
0: And Doug's good. so and, I mean,
1: he's, yeah. and he's good, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's in that position for a reason. Right. Uh, he didn't look into that position. So, yeah, and – and luckily for us, he was on the short end of a very close run. And and that worked out in our favor and uh it, it was it was really exciting and, and ten minutes later, you know, we kinda got back to work and uh Michelle went to the grocery store and we'd started doing stuff around the house like <laughs> normal normal business. Like, hey we won, great, okay, get back to work. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Uh no, that's that's great. Um well, at least you didn't have to, you know, the didn't have a heart attack or anything like that. Watching that, so good for you guys.
1: Well, I about had one every time we went around <laughs> prior to that. So I bet it's a, uh, it, You know it's it's really neat. It's a neat concept with NHRA where you actually are racing people that you've never met, and and after we won, I had never met Doug, but I would watched him online and in, in the magazines, and so when we went to Pomona. Uh, for the final race and he was there helping some friends and, and he reached out to me and, and we met and talked and like man what a neat guy and and to not have have known him before but we're racing for a, a championship against each other is is really kind of neat and that, that's one of the things I I really like about the NHRA and the, the seven divisions and the, you know the the guy who had the best record for the whole year out of the entire country is the champion. And that, I think that's um, that's way better than just having a, a race of champions or, or one final race to determine the, the champion, kind of like the NASCAR stuff. is I, I applaud the NHRA for kind of sticking to their um, – for the sportsman guys anyway, kind of sticking to the old, you know, your cumulative events for the entire season to determine the champion.
0: Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. Uh, well that, yeah, that's, uh, to your point, it's a, it's a great uh, stuff and you know that you've earned it at the end of the year when you get that done.
1: Well, thank you. It yeah. was, uh, it, it took a lot of years. You know, we, we raced NH, I mean, I trade for almost, uh, 15 years and never won a division championship, never won a national championship, but I was second in both division and national more times than I'd like to count. And I kind of felt like Ron Caps did for all those years where he, you know, he was runner up so many times in the championship race. And I felt like, you know, maybe it's never going to happen for me. And, and but we kept plugging along and trying and finally got there. And it's a great feeling.
0: Yeah, no, congrats. Uh, so is the plan then to, to follow this thing up and uh, try to defend your championship or how does, how does that work this year?
1: Well, the, the business, it's going to take precedence this year and you know previously we we sort of lived a race and now we're going to uh, we're going to have to kind of reel it back a little bit we missed the first two events for division two this year and my plan is to go to the gators and hopefully the baby gators but i've got a number of engines that need to be finished and customers are going to come first um, this year so hopefully racing will always be there and we'll always have the opportunity to do that. But, uh, I don't foresee us actually chasing for the national points this year. Um, as, as much as I would really like to, it's, uh, it's probably just too much to try to take on.
0: Yeah. No, understand completely. This is, uh, you know, this sport costs money and you, you got to handle that business first. Um, well, Uh, thank you so much, Sandy, for coming on. You were fantastic, um, and for your effort today, I'm gonna give you the podcast certification. I do not give that to everybody, but you were fantastic. So, that means come on anytime to talk anything you want to talk about in top sportsman, top dragster. Um, so thank you for doing that, and uh, have a great season this year,
1: Rex. Thank you very much.
0: That was the great Sandy Wilkins. Today's half track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com, and let's start with the NHRA National event in Arizona, the Arizona Nationals, where your very own drag race lawyer was in attendance. So if you were walking around and you said, "Hey, that looks like the drag race lawyer," it was. He was there in person, um, watching the top sportsman cars. Qualify. There were 23 of those cars. And your number one qualifier was Jeff Conley. He goes 6'12 with a nine at 237 miles an hour. My goodness, Jeff had both feet on the accelerator, taking the top spot there. Um, And uh, Conley and the number two qualifier, Brian LaFlamme, both exit in the semis. Leaving Paul Mittos and Ed Holpen in the final. Now, Ed's son, Eddie, won super gas there. So they were trying to make it a father son winner circle. But Paul Mittos had other plans and leaves with a 003 light and makes it too tough on The Undertaker. Um, And so, congrats to Paul Mitzos for getting the win in top sportsmen in arizona on the top dragster side there were 29 pipe racks looking for that national event wally and your number one qualifier was steve will he goes 615 with a zero at 230 miles an hour but your winner was art hoover over phil uro um, art was a had a very nice reaction time advantage and he was dead on three for his second national event Wally. So congrats to art Hoover for the win there. Um, now we go to the division two divisional at, uh, SGMP. So there was their second event of the year in division two. In Georgia down there, the weather was okay. So there were 18 cars that showed up on the top sportsman side. So no one really needed to stand on it, and they did not. Your number one qualifier was Nicholas Rabin. He's from uh, Florence, South Carolina, and he has an 08 GTO, and he goes 699 with a 3 at 196 miles an hour. And your winner ultimately in top sportsman was – Johnny Brooks in his beautiful Chevy 2 over Ken Wells. Uh, so, Johnny Brooks gets it done in SGMP. On the top dragster side, there were 26 dragsters showed up. Uh, your number one qualifier was Wayne Brooks um, in his uh, 14 dragster. Um, he goes 6'12 with an 8 at 227 miles an hour. You um, bet your winner was Jeff Strickland over Clint Riley. Uh, Jeff was on the last episode, number 35, so check him out if you have not done so already. And uh, he had 13 in the bag on the starting line and just led Clint through beautifully for his 24th Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. 24. My man, Jeff, killing it. He was awesome last week and then went on to put it in the winner circle. So nicely done, Jeff Strickland. Um, two weeks from now, we'll come back. We will bring you the results of the NHRA Division IV um, event and No Problem Raceway. That will be their first event of 2020 in Division IV. We'll also have the Division Seven event in Tucson. Uh, this is Division VII's first event, although they've, although they've had the national events out there to get them warmed up. And then we will have the NHRA Division II event in Gainesville. Um, That's a third D2 event already. Um, So I know some people are headed um, down there to Gainesville from Indiana, um, and they are headed down there ready to bring the noise. So uh, travel safe out there and go get them, um, everyone from Indiana heading down there. Um, Also, we will bring the Drag Illustrated World Door Slammer Nationals to you from Orlando they, um, along with the Pro Stock and Pro Mod and some of the other door car events, they are having a top sportsman ten grand to win there. So we will bring you all of those results when we come back in the next episode in two weeks. whoa let's get out of the groove here for just one second and i gotta tell you i can't wait to have this next guest on i was up in northern wisconsin on a bowling trip as uh you guys know and i saw the flyer in the hotel for um the merrill ice draggers And I did what I do, which is essentially what all addicts do, which is try to get their fix. And so I went out there and saw this, and uh, we're very lucky to have Cindy Opichka on with us today, who is the president of the Merrill Ice Draggers. How are you today, Cindy?
2: Hi, very good. Anytime I get to talk about the club is a good day.
0: That's that's right. Um, And just for our listeners, what's the temperature right now in uh, Merrill, Wisconsin?
2: I believe right now we're at about 26 degrees.
0: That's pretty pretty good, right?
2: It's a nice balmy day for racing today. (laughs) Right.
0: All right, well, tell our listeners um, what the Merrill Ice Draggers is and explain that to uh, somebody who has never been up there.
2: Absolutely. Well, we are the World Championship Merrill Ice Drags. We were founded in 1965 by a bunch of local men and women. Um, I can't tell you, obviously, I wasn't there. It was 55 years ago, but... It was just sitting around in wintertime. They wanted to race their cars and went, hey, why don't we go take them out on the lake? And that's where we began. In 1970, the club was incorporated, and we are a non not-for-profit organization. And everything we do is we give back to the community and put on an awesome, one-of-a-kind drag race like you've never seen.
0: So just, and I want to gloss over that, you put a drag strip on a frozen lake. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Right. Why not? Absolutely.
2: Because <laughs> we can.
0: That, that's exactly right. Um, well, uh, no, and it's brilliant. It is. It is truly awesome. Um, I've done it before, but um, I will tell you, my sister and my nephews had never driven across a lake before, and I know they were nervous. Um, you know, following my dually across. But uh, it's a different experience if you've never been up there.
2: Oh, it really is. It's a very neat. We have an eighth mile track, straight ice. Uh, I, I don't know what we're called. Are we no prep or are we prep? Because we have to sweep and broom. So, I mean, I guess we prep the track. I, I don't know how that exactly works.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, a, that's a up for discussion, I think, um, at this point. But, uh, all right, so you put a track out on a frozen lake, and so you put timing system, uh, the tower, uh, return roads, the whole deal.
2: Yep, we do. We run a port tree system, the eliminator port tree um, we, have, we actually have four lanes, we run two, we alternate every, every race, so off and on every week we alternate lanes and we start a little bit further up because we get grooves in the ice that are 12 inches plus deep from our nailie tires, which we call them nailies, that have anywhere from three, now listen closely here, three to 5,000 plus drywall screws for tracking. Oh, wow,
0: okay. So, you take the slicks off, and we put three to 5,000 drywall screws in there, and then bolt them back on, and off we go.
2: Correct. It sounds really easy, but it's not. Making your first set of nailies is an experience you will never, ever forget, and you do it once, and then you hire somebody else to do it.
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) Um, That that is interesting, and so... um, you, what talk to us through like what classes you run there because there's a couple different classes that you guys run right
2: yes we have 15 classes currently and that's always kind of up for I don't know if you want to say debate or organization whatever just because this is what's the most popular currently is kind of where we're running we have you could with your dually you could have driven out there and raced we have rubber tire classes so those are always kind of the beginner get your feet wet Ha, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> you drive up there in your everyday car. We have a two wheel drive class and the four wheel drive classes, rubber tires. So street tire, as long as the car is street legal, you can race it. Uh, we need helmets and safety, you know seat belts, things like that, but in the rubber tire classes. And then from there they just go up. So we start with our eleven second index class yep. and go to the seven o. So we go from eleven to seven seconds, and then we have modified. Open door slammer, altered, and outlaw are our top four. And that's pretty much modified as modified production, so it should be kind of a fancy pro streetish but more street than pro car. Yep. And then you go all the way up our stretched out alcohol rail dragsters in the outlaw class.
0: Yeah, so you've got some index classes and then you've got heads up classes. And um, what so what would be like the um, the track record then? Speed and E T.
2: Our track record, which was set, oh, I can't remember what year here right off the top of my head, but our 660 feet now, remember, is 5.431 seconds at 141.6 miles an hour.
0: That's moving on the ice.
2: Yeah, eighth mile straight ice track.
0: That is awesome. I mean, it is cool, too, because uh, you're essentially doing a burnout all the way down um, in certain – I mean, the ice is flying. It's a cool cool thing watching it go down, but – Um, there's also, but you have records almost in every class, right? And there is a record that you hold yourself. Is that right?
2: That is true. Yep. Every class has speed, um, ET and speed records. I hold the two wheel drive track record. I set that in 2016 with my 03 Cadillac DeVille. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I drive it, I drove it up there every day, drove it to work every day. That was my race car. That's a 13.863 ET and 59.82 miles an hour in my caddy.
0: I like it. I yeah. like it. All right. and I, when I
2: talk to drag racers and say I have a 59-mile-an-hour record, they're like, whoopee-doo. But then I say, okay, but it's Glare Ice with rubber tires.
0: Right. In yeah. an eighth
2: mile, so bring it.
0: So were you feathering it or down the track or just uh, let it hammer until it kind of caught? Well, caught
2: you, know, you know, funny thing about my Cadillac with the North Star, which I did not know until I started drag racing it, those engines cut out when you have too much wheel speed. Oh, ah. so I did have to feather it, and I had to kind of pedal it the whole way because otherwise my engine died. So that was a straight up skill thing. I'm going to say all day long because you <laughs> you ah. couldn't even. And it's a Cadillac, so there's no engine noise. I had no idea when it was happening. <laughs> I just had to kind of feel it right. and just keep her going. So yeah, it was. I had to work for it.
0: Oh, ah, that's very cool. Um, and so when did you get when did you get involved with this? I mean, were you just racing it and got involved? How did how did you get involved?
2: Sure. Right out of high school, some guys that I worked with were involved in the club at the time. I can't tell you what positions they held. I think they were officers, whatever. I know they raced up there. And my boyfriend right out of high school raced. His dad had raced. So I'd been up there a handful of times. Then we flash forward to about 15 years ago. My husband was at a meeting because he's also raced for several years off and on and called me and said, the club's looking for a secretary. Do you want to do it? And I was like, oh, man, okay, fine. <laughs> so that was 15 years ago, and I was the secretary for a lot of those. I became vice president and then took over as president last season and this season. So this is my second season as president.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And um, so kind of explain um, the, the setup. This is this is out on, in a state park. Is that right? That's how the, this is all set up?
2: Yep, we, we race on Lake Alexander in Merrill, Wisconsin, off of Highway 107. The It's a little backwater bay. When they put the dam in back in 1920, it kind of flooded off to the side here. And it's probably, I don't know, eight feet deep at the deepest where we are. So once you get out into the channel, it gets very deep. But where we are, we have 18 inches minimum of ice before we hold our event. So we always have 18 inches and then... We we go from there. You know, as the season goes, the ice grows. But um, we've raced in rain. We've raced in blizzards. We've raced in. It's it's crazy the weather you get in the middle of winter. But <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't call on the counter rain, and well, we kind of do because we don't have wipers, and hydroplaning is kind of a thing on the water too. So, it's it's kind of sketchy when it starts getting rainy. <laughs> yeah,
0: it w- it was gorgeous when I was up there. I mean, it was. Um you know it was sunny and it was uh, it was cold cuz it was on you know we we're standing on 20 inches of ice but uh, but it it was a gorgeous day and you know when there's it's just a kind of probably a bizarre thing for guys girls who aren't used to that all the time because there's you know 100 cars parked out um you know in the spectator area and then and then guys are bringing their trucks and and trailers and cars and everything just like they would to a, a normal drag strip out to the the pit area yeah. it doesn't feel right cindy i'm just going to be honest with you it feels <laughs> like um, there should be concrete underneath you or something
2: oh when we had roadkill with a celebrity guest and when they came out too they were if you watch their episode they're driving in and they're like i think we're on the water are we on the water i think <laughs> we're on the water they started freaking out too once they got there but you know it is intimidating at first but again, I know how deep that bay is because I went through there with a depth finder in our little boat once just to check it because I also don't enjoy freezing water depth, so yeah. I don't wish that upon anybody. And we take precaution, you know, we measure and we check, but it's, it's pretty darn safe. We couldn't be out there doing what we're doing if we didn't have enough ice, and it helps a lot that it's very shallow, obviously. So, you know, we take all the precautions. But yeah, it, you hear those. Did you get the pleasure of hearing the ice pop and crack while you were standing there?
0: I did um and <laughs> I will tell you that my sister kind of did a double take and I kind of knew what was going on I've spent some time in Canada so I you know going across the ice roads up there so I, I kind of had a feel for it and I just hushered her along I was like all right let's yeah. go let's go so I didn't want her thinking about that too much to be fair
2: yeah well and last season our first day last year when we were setting up week one it was 13 below when we got out there to start setting up so, it it got above zero. We don't race unless we're above zero. So there's that.
0: Yeah, you know what I do when it's below 13 below zero? Um not much. I'm no. going to tell you.
2: No, we're, we're we're the dummies that are outside <laughs> drag racing and setting up cables and generators and
0: Yeah, but well, it there is a thing like um dra- drag racing is an addiction. There's no doubt about that. And uh we just go do it.
2: Uh, yeah, and that's I always say that I don't do this because I love winter. I love the drag racing, so I tolerate the winter. Yes, yeah, it's, it's such a unique thing that you know we take it for granted because we. I've done this, like I've known about this my entire life. So to us, it's kind of whatever. It's just our track, you know. Yes, but then yeah. people like you show up and you are like, "This is insane! It's like, <laughs> Why are you, how did this even happen?" It's like, I don't know. We just do it.
0: I didn't say that yeah. out loud that you know of, just for oh, the. Oh,
2: that's okay, <laughs> but you can. It happens all the time. You can take it.
0: And but um and your racers that are there, they're they normal um bracket race guys right like they they take the nailies off put the slicks on and then go race at um a normal drag strip in this in the summertime is that yeah the there's, most part?
2: there's some that are straight ice draggers some do not go anywhere else but our track but a great majority do travel around rock falls WIR. Um, they make the rounds in wisconsin i don't know how far some of them travel i know some do the um drag week yeah. things like that. So it just depends. Not all of them. Some are, some are literally set up straight for ice drag and that's all they do. I myself, and I've said this before and I know you're, this is silly, but I'm, I'm afraid to run on asphalt cause it's too slippery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to our track. The nailies are like Velcro, you know, it's, it's very strange. I'd be, I'm afraid to, to run on a normal track.
0: Uh, that is fantastic I never in my wildest dreams would have guessed that's what you were going to say and so I absolutely love it um, it's the an asphalt track is two slip Slippy, for um, someone who races on ice. Got it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, I've, I've got that. Yeah, i
2: got 5,000 drywall screws keeping me down, so, you know.
0: There is the, that. The
2: slicks are the slicks. Are slicks
0: so. <laughs> there is that. Um, and then what uh, What does your series normally consist of throughout the, the winter? How, what, how many races do you typically do?
2: We schedule six, hoping that we can run six. It's kind of a – we're always 100% at the nature of the weather. So weather permitting is – is all of it so we schedule extra days in case we have to move back and forth but our championship series is four weeks you can sure come race any of those days we pay out daily uh you win trophies or money classes depending on which one you go in so we pay out daily if you're in the championship run it's a four week and then we were lucky enough to have a fifth this year so last week we ran we called it super saturday and we did a bunch of dial in handicap racing and then kind of some grudge you could buy some more passes and just take on people you haven't raced before. Yeah. Go down the track for a ride. It was just a really fun kind of screw off day one last hurrah before the cars got put away till spring.
0: Yeah. Um no, that's that's great stuff. Um and uh for for those of us out there that um are just simply too comfortable with with driving um on asphalt or they also, like you, think it's a little too slick and uh, want to know more about uh, the ice draggers. Where can, they, where can they find out more?
2: Absolutely. com is our website. We have a Facebook page, Merrill Ice Drags. There's actually two pages. There's a Merrill Ice Draggers, which is more of a group, and then we have Merrill Ice Drags, which is our informational page. So both of those are good sources of information. There's videos on all three of those places for how to make nailies. We have content. You can message the group on the Facebook. We can get you in touch with a driver racer. It's all. I had some other people too this week that had come up from Twin Cities, had driven over to watch us, and had questions about tires and how to set up each car. There's so many variables. As with any race car and any track, I can't give you a blanket. This works for that because it just everything depends on your car. So we have a lot of people that you can talk to. Uh, the videos are huge we're all over youtube merrill ice drags all over youtube um just put it in there and you'll find it you can watch the videos
1: and again you know
2: contact through merrillicedrags.com or merrillicedrags on facebook
0: that's fantastic yeah no I, i appreciate you coming on and and talking uh talking through that with us and um you know that was uh that that's great stuff you have one more race this year is that right
2: no, we're done. Saturday done. Okay. was our last. Uh, so this next weekend is going to be our banquet. So it's our awards banquet. And give the guys some some food and some trophies and some money and get ready for next season. Yeah,
0: there we go. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you uh, giving us that detail and uh, kind, of, kind of walking us through that. I, I had an absolute blast when I was up there. Um, I don't know if I'm going to make any nailies and, and make the trip up there in next winter, but uh, but uh, I applaud everybody who does because it's an awesome show.
2: Well, if you find your way and you get up here. We could put you in a car and take you for a ride.
0: I like it. I do so like it. So you don't it.
2: even have to bring your own. Just you show up and you tell them who you are and we'll, we'll take you for a trip down the track.
0: Yeah, don't tease me with a good time, Cindy. I will be there.
2: <laughs> I offer it to everybody. And you know what? A lot of you guys are chickens. Nobody <laughs> wants to come out and do it. So um, I'm calling you out on your own show. Come on up.
0: Uh, all right. There it is. You heard it here first, folks. Um, that was the great Cindy Opichka with her track record on uh, the Merrill Ice Drags. (laughs) All right, as we hit the mile-per-hour cone today, um, the International Drag Racing Hall of Fame announced their 2020 inductees. Um, They inducted Gasser legend Robert Bones Blah. They They inducted Nitro Crew Chief Lee Beard. They inducted junior fuel legend Don Enriquez. They inducted pro-stock hero Roy Hill, uh, also funny car racer and Texas Motorplex owner Billy Meyer, and finally, Nitro team owner and driver Larry Minor. So all those guys have made their mark in our sport um, in their own way and will take their place in the International Drag Racing Hall of Fame located in the Don Garlitz Museum of Drag Racing in Gainesville, Florida. Congrats. And thank you to all of those inducted. All right, let's bring it back in and take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 36. There it is. There's the wind light in our lane. I love it. And I think we know by now what happens next. Um, the greatest song of all time gets played. There it is. There it is. I think it's great. But I will tell you this if you have a better theme song or quote unquote better, I'd like to know about it. Um, I'll consider it. Um, hey, special thanks to our guests for coming on today Sandy Wilkins, your 2019 NHRA Top Sportsman World Champion, and Cindy Opichka, the president of the Merrill Ice Draggers. They were both awesome. Um, hey, do me a favor. Like and share the Facebook and Twitter pages and uh, make comments if you don't mind, because uh, we got to get a little street cred from Facebook. Um, Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. So, question? Yeah, you got the guts to go racing on an ice drag strip? Um, I've done far, far worse, Rob. I promise you. But uh, I might just stick to the snowmobiles. I'm gonna be honest with you.